You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. The sun's shining. You know, birds are singing. The weather has turned. Spring has sprung. And I'm loving it. Season three. Season three. I actually can't believe we're doing season three because obviously this started as you and me in lockdown, just messing about on Zoom and making a podcast. But look at us now, season three. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's looking like it's going to be a good season. We've got some new guests lined up, which are all very exciting. We are here to help the hospitality industry and spread good news as well as top tips. And we're going to be bringing on guests that can talk about how to recruit properly, best practices. It's very exciting. Very exciting indeed. I think we're going to start our new series. Timothy, put the katowda on. Welcome to Timothy Put the Cattell on, where I, Sarah Cattell, and my co-host Timothy R. Andrews are talking hospitality, bringing you solutions to the issues we are facing and inspirational stories from the incredible people who make up our hospitality industry family. Today, we are delighted to welcome our guest, Jill Whitaker, who is the gaffer at hospitality training company, Hit Training. Welcome, Jill. Hello, Jill. Hi, how are you doing? I'm how are good. you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm having a bit of a glorious day. As you say, the sunshine makes a big difference, doesn't it? It Which does. Is lovely. And when I finish talking to you two, I'm going to go and have a nice swim in the sea. That's incredible because we know where you are. You're on the south coast because it says it on your mug, Jill. It does. It does. I'm on the south coast. I'm the queen of shore and by sea. <laughs> I need to ask you, what's in your mug? Um, it's a uh, it's a fine single malt. No, it's it's actually a <laughs> tea. I've got a um, it's uh, it's a very specific tea. It's a decaffeinated Yorkshire tea with oat milk. I switched over to um, cold tea which I know just sounds rubbish, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's actually kind of nice. I thought cold tea was what happens when you forgot you've got a cup of tea on your desk. It is also now, yeah. And now they charge you extra for it, Jill. <gasps> I so love when it. My t- so I've got cold tea at least four times a day. So does that mean I'm sitting on a gold mine? Quite literally. Oh, yeah, I've been heating up in the microwave and actually I could just be <laughs> vlogging. <laughs> you could just be selling it to me because clearly I'm the mug who's going to buy it. <laughs> back to the show back to the show 
Jill Whitaker, O-B-E. Congratulations. I want to keep saying it because it sounds so good. And it sounds so good because it is so well deserved. Thank you very much. It's um, it's taken me nearly 24 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> and I'm, I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted. You know, you know, the thing that I really got me is that obviously originally I, I got a letter from the Queen and, and bless her, she's no longer with us. And I'm not a great royalist at all. I never have been. Um, however, when you get a letter from the Queen that says, well, actually, it was a letter from Boris. Right, there's quite an histoire here because the letter was a letter from Boris saying the Queen's asked me to write to you to see if you'd accept a, uh, an OBE. And I thought, oh, fantastic. And then subsequently, I got a, a, a lovely letter from Nadim Sahawi, who was at that point in time a minister. That one is going to definitely get framed and go into possibly my bathroom. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so that was all lovely. Through the post, I received a cylindrical postal thingies. Anyway, inside it is a great big certificate, and it's signed by the Queen. So even though she's she's gone, she, she'd signed my certificate before she went. I was really quite touched by that, really quite touched. But, yeah, as I say, it's it's really nice and to have that recognition that, I've done something that wasn't purely just for my own benefit, that, that, that it's been useful to society as well. So it's for services to apprenticeships. Um, and, yeah, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it. So thank you. Thank you. So, Jill, to someone in hospitality, your CV is breathtakingly brilliant. And to someone outside of the industry, it might actually be hugely surprising because you take every stereotype of this industry being low skilled and you flip it on its head. It's amazing. So give us a whirlwind tour of how you got to where you are now. Oh, my word. How long have you got? I'll, try, I'll go as fast as I can. Go. So when I was about 15, um, I used to babysit for the general manager of the Belfry Hotel, in, which is near Sutton Coalfield. People have heard of it because that's where the golf happens. Um, and he basically said to me one day, we need more staff. Can you come and work for us? So I was doing my GCSEs at the time. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely fantastic. So I started off there waitressing. Um, when I was 18, I was in the bar at weekends. I was um, working as grill chef on breakfasts and, and the like. Then they opened a nightclub, so I worked there as well. So while I was doing all of that, you know, that that basically for the next five years or so, um, whilst doing GCSEs, A levels, and then um, then do my accountancy qualifications, I I worked in hospitality and I absolutely loved it. Um, always had a real passion for it. Always have had. Um, and then of course I qualified as an accountant, so that. Off I went to do lots of audits and things like that, very dull. Um, but what it does do for you is you get to see all sorts of businesses. And I, again, naturally gravitated back to the hospitality sector. So I was put into a group um, that the accountancy firm that I work for who specialised in hospitality and brewing. So I did all the audits on the brew. I was in, in Birmingham. You can probably tell from my accent. I've got a bit of residual Birmingham hanging around in there. Um, so, yeah, so I worked, worked in all the breweries and the hotel groups and not as a as a book or a waiter any longer, but, you know, in that in those support functions. Absolutely loved it. Then I went off overseas and worked overseas for various um, various companies for a while, came back to the UK and just 
I got a job in a bank and I absolutely hated it. It was just duller than dishwater. So I went back to the dishwater basically, and um, got a job in a French ski resort as a cook and did a season there cooking and then uh, went and worked to manage the bar for a season and then moved into a hotel and went and worked in the hotel doing a bit of everything. I was the only person who spoke both English and French, um, which was handy. Um, so if somebody didn't turn up, I did whatever their job was. And when the manager went away because I could speak both languages, then I just took on whatever it was that he needed me to do for him. So I did that for another couple of years, which is great fun. This is going to sound show-offy. I'm not being show-offy. It was very much done on a budget. But then I sailed to Australia. So um, I got on a yacht and basically sailed to Australia with two other people, um, one of whom is now my husband. I met him on the boat in, in the French canals, which we took down through the canals and then... Um, across the Atlantic and across the Pacific. So I did that, got back to the UK um, and did lots of accountancy kind of work. And eventually uh, I got approached about a job with a training company and it was a hospitality training company. So it really worked for me, obviously, with that passion for the industry that I've always had. I thought, fantastic, I can you know, apply all sorts of skills to this and, and really help businesses to you know, up their skills level and, and become more efficient as businesses. So that's what I did. I went and worked there. That was 1998, so 20, 23 years ago, and been doing that pretty much ever since. Yeah, we started HIT in 2006, so we've been going for 15 years, and uh, it feels like five minutes. It's been fantastic. It's been an absolute roller coaster and joyous, and I, the, the joy for me, you know, this wonderful industry that we all live and breathe um just being able to help everybody in it get better and you know the, for their staff to to raise their skills and to lift people out of poverty and everything from you know, entry-level basic stuff dead basic skills all the way through to we now have a relationship with a university and we, we can go all the way up to level seven um degree apprenticeships uh, with a master's was that quick enough <laughs> Wow. Yes. <laughs> if it had been any quicker, I think you'd have, you'd have done yourself down. It's interesting that you said about uh, the poverty element, because Sarah and I both worked on a school project called Pan Out. One of the things that was clearly lacking, and it tended to be from poorer families that we were involved in, was the kids' self-belief that they could achieve anything. And it's the training them in the skills or showing them that they can achieve things that radically transform some of them some of them actually went into hospitality but you could see this sort of this moment where something shifted and I thought we could do that providing skills to to people and giving them access which is what you do is is a, is a wonderful thing because it really changes people's lives well it gives them a choice I'm absolutely a great believer that you know if the job that you're doing rings your bell and you love it and stick with it and be the best you can be in that job. It's it's not all about getting to the next level. If management is your bag, brilliant. But actually, if you're a fantastic practitioner in whatever you do, you know, and whether that's you know in the kitchens or whether it's front of house, whatever your role is, if you if you enjoy being a practitioner and you're brilliant at it, well, just be as brilliant at it as you can be. It shouldn't always be the conversation about getting to the next level, getting into management, getting into senior management because you know, that's a skill set in and of itself. And it's not necessarily 
for everybody. What's going to become more important as technology develops are, are those roles that can't be done by a computer. You know, Absolutely. And some of that stuff can't be done. You, you can automate up to a point, but actually what we should be really valuing, really, really valuing is those housekeepers who, you know, who really look after us when, we, when we're staying in the hotels. We, we should be really valuing that, you know, the kitchen porter who, you know, you can't automate that job. All right, you've got a great big plunge machine, fine. You know, you've got all that, but you can't automate that. His role or her role, that's really, really important. So so we reach, that we need to have a, a rebalancing, to my mind, of what we value and what we value and what we pay for. Rather than keep paying lots and lots and lots for technology solutions, they should be getting cheaper so we can pay more to the humans who do the essential roles and and we should value them more we absolutely should and i just think that rebalancing needs to happen sooner rather than later you're right because i can't imagine a time when there's going to be a robot going into a hotel room folding a towel into a swan (laughs) you're right we need to revalue those skills the housekeeper is one that i always pull up whenever i'm speaking to uh, whoever the skills minister is and i'm you know in 20 odd years i've i've seen quite a few of those people and you know when they talk about level two skills as being low skills I get really cross because you know it's it's really important that people start their career somewhere but actually master it and if if housekeeping is your thing and you want to yeah back to that being the best then you should be able to be the best and yeah you know, talk to skills so they're always trying to talk about you know but level three is what you're aiming for it's like well not really no you know, level two skill performs really well professionally. It's incredibly valuable. So, yeah, that rebalance has got to happen. It's got to happen. Yeah, I know kitchen porters that have been doing it for 25 years and they're very happy where they are. Um, they have absolutely no desire to be anywhere else. It's the perfect job for them. And, and you know, a, a kitchen porter can make or break a kitchen. Yeah, so, the most important person in that kitchen. Yeah. Have you having anything at all to do with hospitality rising? Yeah, brilliant organisation. Actually, uh, coming on as well in a couple of weeks' time, so uh, look out for that. Because I'm, 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 I've been a supporter of that since the get-go, and I've been, you know, doing a little bit of work with Mark and helping, helping out there. From the skills perspective, skills and recruitment perspective, basically. The traction is fantastic. Brilliant. What it's doing is it's changing the, the mindset of young people about what the industry could do for them you know rise fast work young what a great what a great phrase you know you can rise as fast as you like but if you want to invest in your own skills at the same time you can you can get there even quicker you know and for a lot of young people that's really important they haven't got forever hanging around they want it want it now you know they're not people who who can sit around and think well you know in two years time in three years time they're thinking yeah, I quite actually, it, my supervisor's pretty good, but I reckon I could do that job. I wonder how fast I can get to that position. You know, and, and that's what we've got to facilitate for people. Brilliant. It's, it's like, that is the essence of, that's one of the great things about hospitality is that, that yeah. you can come in and you can go get promoted really quick. You've got the right attitude. You get money quicker. You can go to different venues. Sorry, employers, but you can go abroad. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, you make a lot of money out of hospitality. I mean, Absolutely. you know, it's... 
And we've got fantastic clients who are really, really good at training up their staff. Fantastic. They're brilliant. And they recognize that they are probably training their staff up to go and work somewhere else because they've got limited roles, you know, and there's only so many bar supervisors you need. You know, there are only so many head housekeepers you need. And then if everyone's aspiring to that, they're going to go work somewhere else. You know, I think realizing that someone is going to move on is really important and you should still inspire them to do their best work when they're with you, because that's the best leadership there is. And that's the best gift you can give to your employee. They're doing the right thing for the whole industry as well. So that's a really positive thing. And it's interesting, that thing about wanting it now, and wanting it fast. Um, you've got that with the, with the younger people. So, you know, you're under 25s. They're, they're, they're thinking like that. Let's move. Come on, bang, bang, bang. But your over 50s think the same as well, yes. you know, and, and being in that elite little group myself, I can tell you that if somebody says to me, it's going to take two years for you to train up for this job, I'd be like, mm, you know what, I'm not sure I've got two years to invest because I want it sooner. And the reason I want it sooner is because, well, I'm thinking perhaps my working life's got another 15, 20 years. I don't want to be spending a whole two years of that training up to do my job. How can I do this faster, please? How can I get this moving faster? And how can this be for me and not just for the 16 and 17-year-olds? How, how can that happen? And I think, you know, it's interesting that the government seems to have picked up on this this massive um, aging workforce, which we have. There are also all these people who've retired early through COVID. So it's really time to get moving and thinking, well, yeah, all right, we want to attract the youngsters. Absolutely, of course we do. But what about that workforce of people who've got a, a life of lived experience behind them and have still got so much to give? You know, it's a really important point that you're making, Jill, is about these people with lived life experience because we need to have in our industry, across our workforces, this kind of mixture of age groups. My uncle was a great example of this. He, um, he, he was a car salesman all his life. And when he got to about 60, uh, he decided to retire from that. It was, it was too much. And he got a job as the doorman at the Hilton Metropole in Birmingham. And he was about six foot four with his top hat. He was over seven foot. So his top hat and tails, and he was a charming gentleman. It's funny, I mean, he's been dead a few years now, but when I talk to people, we use the Hilton in Birmingham for events and things, drugs time. When I talk to the GMs, they all remember Derek, because he was a character. He was an older guy, he was charming, he would flirt with anybody, it didn't matter whether you were 14 or whether you were 75. Um, and he always had a wink and a smile, and everyone remembers him. And I recognise, of course, not everyone can go and be a doorman at a, a full star. But there are jobs. There are jobs for people who want them that fit in around their lifestyles that perhaps aren't as taxing as something they might have done in the past. Or maybe they are. We've got one apprentice at the moment, a chef apprentice, who was a lawyer all his working life. Um, and when his parents um, passed away, he finally decided that actually he didn't ever wanted to be a lawyer. It was something he'd done to make his parents proud of him. And he packed it in and now he's training to be a chef. He's the first commie in a kitchen. He could not be happier. But you can't homogenise people. The over 50s are as different as the under 18s. There's not one size fits all. You won't encourage all of them by saying, come to us and, and, and you can do lots of skills. You have a new life and all of that. You won't encourage them all by that. Some of them will be encouraged by, actually, you know, three days a week would suit me. That'd be nice. Or what about some seasonal work? 
that'd be nice. And then I can go and spend my winters out in the French Alps or whatever it is that I want to do in my semi-retirement. There's going to be a different answer for everybody. I think the best thing that employers can do is just open their eyes to the human and stop seeing the, the wrinkles. So every person under the age of 18, every person over the age of 50, everybody in between, what is it that is going to bring them into your workplace? What is it that's going to encourage them to want to work with you as a brand, to be part of your work family? You know, what is it? And what is it about them that you need? Those three people who have come for that job that you desperately need to fill, you're not looking at them and saying, oh, well, I'm not so sure about that one because he's a bit young. I'm not so sure about that one because he's a bit old. I'm not so sure about the middle one because well, he might be the age where she's going to go off on maternity leave. Let's leave all that to one side. Let's just interview the human. Forget about their age groups. Yeah. And, you know, also if you're a person who's not done yet, shall we say, and then you're a bit scared of, oh, I've only got 10, 15 years of left. Well, 10 or 15 years is a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was having this conversation with Sandra Kelly, Director of Development at UK Hospitality, a fantastic woman, the other day, you know, the the over 50s. And what is it that um, that will might encourage them into into learning and development? And it's like, well, for goodness sake, they're all different. They're all different. So do some different things are going to encourage different people. And some people, you know, you know there's, there's some people in their 60s and 70s who could really, you know, Put, in a, put them in a race against a 40-year-old and you, they're going to win. You know, there are other people for whom perhaps the bodies are a bit more tired. They've done a different type of role in their lives. I've got one lovely client who, who always says, I don't care how old you are. It doesn't matter to me. When you come from the job, they recruit for that, that skill set that they need, but that, that attitude, you know, we can, we can train your skills in. That's not an issue. Come to me with the right attitude, a smile on your face, and a, an ethic that says, "I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to work hard while I'm with you, and we, we will have a job for you." You could be 102 and behaving like a stroppy eight-year-old. That wouldn't be the right attitude at all. Right. <laughs> or you can be, you know, 21, fresh out of uni, or even just fresh out of college at 18, and have the right can-do attitude, and you can do anything. Thank you very much. It's been lovely, actually. I've had a really lovely chat. I've enjoyed it. It's been nice talking to both of you. Likewise. You're not finished yet, though, Jill. Aren't I? <laughs> Put the cuppa down. Question time. This is what we call the quick fire round. So we can ask you some <gasps> questions. So Sarah and I will alternate the questions, and then you've got to answer the first thing that comes into your mind. spend a day in someone else's shoes whose would they be and why Elvis Presley's because I just like to see what his world was like it must have been quite extraordinary what's the one thing that you would like to change about yourself I haven't got anything I'd like to change about myself Tim are you you religious or spiritual no what is your favorite summer activity i love swimming in the sea i love sailing as well what is one of your weird quirks oh god one of them which one to choose Are you relig- <laughs> <laughs> if you could talk to the president what would you talk about I'd talk about music and see what sort of music he likes 
I'd like to see what sort of bloke he is, really. I mean, I doubt we share a, a taste in music, but we might. You know, who knows? He might love the Sex Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favourite beverage? Jägermeister. Is a thumb a finger? No, it's a thumb, Tim. <laughs> Jill, what secret would you like to tell me? What makes you think I've got a secret? Hot dogs, ketchup or mustard? Sauerkraut. What do you call me? <laughs> Sauerkraut, mustard and ketchup. Bring it on. Why limit yourself? Life is too short. Cocktails in glasses or jam jars? Oh, good God. Glasses. What's wrong with you people? Is vegan cheese cheese? No. Yeah. Do yellow Smarties taste different to other Smarties or are the blue ones better? No, they all taste exactly the same, Sarah. Okay, so our time has come to an end, which is such a shame because we've had so much fun. But thank you so much, Jill. You've been an incredible guest and I want to speak to you again very soon. Lovely. Thank you so much. It's been really great to see both of you. And yeah, let's get together soon. You're such a joy to talk to and your energy and good luck with everything. And thank you for all you've been doing for our industry as well. It's a really good job. Thank you. You are very welcome, mate. And just remember, a thumb is just a thumb. (laughs) (laughs) Timothy, put the katada on. No, it's a thumb, Tim. <laughs> Goodness sake. <laughs> What's up with you? Honestly. <laughs> Daft as a brush.